Maybe you're talking business with a colleague, or maybe you're just chatting with a friend or a family member. But no matter the case, have you ever said, gee, I wish I had that problem? Sometimes it's said facetiously, sometimes not. But you know, there really are problems that people do wish they had. Today, our show is focused on one of those. It's a problem that you all wish you had. What's that you say, John? Well, today we're going to be talking about how to deal with the challenge of scaling your business. I'm right, am I not? I'm John Pryle, and welcome to George's Impact Podcast. With us today is Alan Leinwald, Senior VP of Engineering at Slack. Now, this is a person who knows all about scale, and I'm thrilled to be talking with him. You see, Alan was an outstanding keynote speaker at our recent annual Scale Tech Conference. At these Scale Tech Conferences, some of the world's most experienced product and tech leaders share hard-won secrets on startup growth, product direction, and business strategy. Alan, Slack is not the only company we've had to help a company scale. Take us through a bit of your background and some of the growth challenges you've seen. Thanks, John. I have clearly been involved, and that's sort of what lights me up in the morning is, is really scaling companies and scaling businesses and scaling engineering teams. So you're right, I've been lucky enough to be involved in a number of companies that have grown a uh, fairly large scale. I started my career back at Hewlett Packard, uh, which was already at scale when I joined them. But then I spent a, after a couple of years at HP. I went over to Cisco Systems, where I was very early on, and watched that business just boom as we were building this little thing called the internet. After that, I went over to a company called Digital Island, where I was uh, one of the founding team members there and scaled that company from myself and a, a few friends up to 1,800 people as we continued to grow that. That was out of an internet service provider, content distribution network company. Uh, along the way, I did a couple other startups, scaled those up as well. But probably the biggest scale challenges I had throughout my career was I was involved in scaling up Zynga, which was the gaming company back in the heyday of Mafia Wars and Farmville and Wars with yeah. Friends. And uh, you smile because I can already see you're picturing your Facebook feed uh, that we were filling up at that time. And then I went over after spending a number of years in Zynga to a company called ServiceNow, uh, where I was in charge with scaling up engineering teams for that enterprise software company, primarily on workflow and workflow automation. And finally, I've been here at Slack for just about two years now and been scaling up the engineering teams here to handle uh, workflow, workplace collaboration, and everything we do here at Slack. That's great. So I'd like to go through some of the key components of scale and maybe help people prioritize the one might focus. I mean, companies have an application infrastructure and that obviously needs to be coded without bottlenecks, but the application runs on an underlying layer of middleware and infrastructure software. It could be running on a third-party provider. It could be in-house or a hybrid. So let me lay out two scenarios for you to talk about. First one sure. is a holiday rush, which a system needs to handle. Well, maybe I should say a pandemic rush where it hammers the likes of a Netflix or a Zoom or a company that just continues to grow and grow and things are working and now things are slowing down and things might break. I think both of these scenarios are real and, and quite different. And my sense is the first one is doable, although not trivial. It seems to be a known problem. Do you agree with that first problem that can reasonably be attacked? Yeah, I do agree that you can attack that, but I think you have to have the right mindset. One of the ways you have the right mindset, one of the things I've been telling teams for years, is you have to plan for an order of magnitude change in everything you're building. That's a 
different mindset than let's just build it and get out the door. Yes, you have to build it and get out the door, but you have to build it and get out the door with the architectural knowledge of the fact that this thing could blow up 10x or 100x before you know it. And the last thing you want to be doing is, you know, putting the proverbial duct tape on things as you're trying to scale. So you, you have to always plan for that order of magnitude change. I remember when I got to ServiceNow, um, I don't remember the exact numbers, but we had, call it N customers at the time. And I remember standing in front of our engineering leadership at the time and saying, let's imagine we have 100x times N. And, you know, literally jaws on the floor and people saying that that's not going to happen. Oh, that's just crazy sauce. What are you talking about? Two years later, I stood in front of that same team and said, we're at 120x. What do you think? <laughs> and and what, what it means is just we had to start thinking about that. We had to start thinking about how do we scale the networking layer? How do we scale the architecture? How do we scale the database queries? Like every step along the way, one way to do that is I always tell people you have to be able to trace the entire application as you describe the various components. I had to call it from the floor to the app stack. So you have to know what's happening you know, at the physical layer, you have to know what's happening at the networking layer, you have to know what's happening at the system side, you have to know what's happening at the database side, at the caching tier, in the application logic. You can't be writing software that can't be tested. You have to make sure you load test things at every layer of the stack to make sure you're able to handle that scale. And all that takes time. So, so don't get me wrong. I don't think like two people in a basement first trying to come up with the next great app need to think about scaling to 10 million, 100 million people, but they can't design themselves into a corner that prevents them from doing that in the future. And that's, that's sort of the guidance I give people is imagine a time and a place. You don't have to build it now, but don't build yourself into a corner. And that usually leads to further conversations about how do you do that? Well, let's talk about horizontal scaling. Let's talk about socket layers that, that might need to grow. Let's talk about constructs you're building in the app infrastructure or, or in the boot process or how systems connect. Um, let's talk about how clients connect into the backend system and what if those clients are now across the globe as opposed to in a particular region. How do you think through those problems? And I just think getting the mental synapses firing on that order of magnitude or two orders of magnitude to scale is what allows you to solve the problem. There isn't a magic bullet. There's lots and lots of things you have to think about along the way. We have to have the right mindset. Right. So on that second case, which is kind of the growing and growing and maybe painfully growing, you know, my sense is if you're not paying attention, and I like your point about you've really got to plan and plan ahead, but as you grow and grow, some insidious things can happen and, and they could potentially happen if you're taking the eye off the ball. So I guess my question is, is there ever a time where a team can just for a moment take their eye off scalability or is this always something to be focused on? I think it's it's a problem you want to have. And I think if you're not thinking about scaling, then is something that will eventually come back and bite you in a couple of different a couple of different ways. One of the things I tell engineering teams a lot is I say the way to run your engineering team is, is this way. You wake up in the morning, you think, are there customer issues I need to fix right now? Are there like hot burning fires? Second thing you want to do in the morning is you want to say, are there things that are remedial effects or post-mortem action items that you need to look at from those customer incidents that you need to fix. And then lastly, you need to build an incredible product. So unfortunately, engineering teams tend to think about it in reverse. They wake up in the morning, they think about what the next innovative feature is that they want to build. When there is a fire, engineers are great. They run to the fire, they, they do the diving catch, they solve the problem, but they forget about all those action items. And that's what ends up building in tech debt. And that's usually where things break and scale. So what I'm trying to get to is that I think having a philosophy and having a way to think about 
How do you scale? Whether it's implicit or whether it's explicit. You can say we're always scaling, but then you say, okay, but what does that really mean? Okay, what that really means is when something breaks because of scale or because of growth, make sure it doesn't happen again. How do you make sure it doesn't happen again? Well, maybe it's solve the scale problem. Maybe it's re-architect. Maybe it's go buy a different service. Maybe it's think about a different provider. Maybe it's think about a, a different way to implement. And then if you do that right, if you actually solve those customer problems, scale or not, and make sure they don't happen again, you spend all your time innovating because you're not always like in that interrupt cycle of, of doing that firefighting mode. Right. And you mentioned a, you know, a couple of programmers in the garage, and obviously they're primary thought at the moment is features and functions, getting this product out the door. Clearly it's necessary, but not sufficient. Well, I mean, I'll paraphrase. You and I were talking just before we get started here, our sort of love of history. I'll paraphrase sort of the Eisenhower, you know, no good plan survives contact with the enemy by saying that, you know, no good product survives contact with the customer. I say that (laughs) entirely facetiously. I mean, you want customers, of course, to have contact with your product and you want to be able to see it scale. So yes, when you're first building a product, if you think about my priorities, fix customer issues, make sure they don't happen again, innovate. If you've got no customers, it's all innovation. But the second you get your product out there and you start getting feedback and you start seeing issues, then I think you have to come back to that mnemonic of figuring out how to plan for that and how to actually grow and, and build that scalability along the way. Interesting. So let me frame my next question by kind of declaring a little something. To me and to George, and security is one of these things that should not be an afterthought. And as we talk about organizations, we often say it can't be relegated to just a few people. It's got to be corporate wide. It's got to come from the top. It's got to spread through an organization. Does scalability work this way? Can a small team of experts be in place to support the rest of the teams? No, I think scalability works the same way. I think you need to have everyone thinking about scale. Not everyone's going to be a scalability expert, just like what everyone says, a security expert. But I don't think you can have teams that ignore scale in order to be successful. Like I said, they, they might not be scalability experts. They might not know about horizontal scaling or you know defense in depth and things like that. But you can't have a team that's building a piece of functionality that can't scale because they're just not scalability experts. I think you you have to indoctrinate that into the into the entire organization and let everyone be a participant in that challenge. So it's, it's really becomes culture. So yeah. every vendor and dare I say, investor kind of loves solutions that are sticky. So once a company, though, has made a commitment to a big piece of tech, whether it's, I don't know, AWS as a a service offering, Salesforce or whatever, do you ever go back and look at those pieces in light of scalability or are you kind of locked in forever? How, How do you reassess kind of where you are? I think, you know, it's our job to always challenge those assumptions and make sure that we are taking a look at those pieces over time. Um, Yes, I mean, we do make vendor selections. We do use a number of different products. We do use a number of open source products. But I think the, the, the mindset in our world, at least, is every six months to take a hard look at everything and make sure we're assessing and seeing if it is building to the scale we want. We just went through a big back-end database migration because we were rolling out in our history. We had a what's called Master Master MySQL replication, and we made a, a sort of conscious effort that that wasn't scaling for us, and we were going to... a an open source system called the test that allows us to scale and share the database infrastructure far more granularly and far more easily for our environment. That was a 18, two-year haul to go from you know a system that we thought wasn't scaling with our needs to a system that we think scales very nicely. I suspect you know in a year or two from now, we'll take another look at that and say, are we still scaling properly? Or do we need to take another hard look at that and, th- and think through it? 
So those are architectural changes we do talk about. And those are programs that we do put key results and business metrics around and sort of drive to conclusion. Generally, not as fast as anyone would like, but we get there. Well, and yeah, reality, a couple of years does not seem long to me for a project of that size. So, yeah. so in terms of kind of investigating what you've got, I often think about machine learning models, right? So they're going to get updated and they're going to get revised and you're going to be looking at more tools. But from something as simple as ML and creating models with different techniques, what about the thought about, oh, I really need to make a major shift. I need to go from ML to deep learning, for example. Is, is that a different thought process the way you just talked about the database migration or is it similar? I think it's pretty similar. You know, Slack has the advantage, at least in the, the CDM right now, of being a fairly young company. So we've got a lot of technology that's fairly nascent, which means that we're not entrenched into, well, we've been doing it on mainframe for 30 years. And it's, you know, a huge cultural shift to think through that. People are always experimenting. They're always playing. They're always trying to figure out what's next. And I love that part of the culture. I love being having a culture that allows you to bring new ideas forward. And we've actually implemented that uh, internally. We run sort of like the Internet Engineering Task Force has this process called RFC or Request for Comments. Basically, you can write something up, you can submit it to the, the corpus and then have people comment on it and spark ideas. We run a very similar RFC process with our architectural teams with inside of Slack. And it is generating some really cool ideas and some really nice stuff for us to continue to scale and, and be innovative. Um, I think you have to have something in the culture to do that. Uh, otherwise, I think engineers will end up in an environment where they feel like they're on older technology, they're not growing, they're not enhancing their career and thinking um, how, to, how to be innovative. And I think you always want to have a team that's thinking about innovation along, of course, they have the customer issues resolved. And giving them something exciting to focus on. I like, I like that thought to get your team motivated and happy. And yeah. I love a couple throughout the interview here, you've talked a bit about technical debt. Is I, I can see lots of nodding heads out there in our audience in terms of understanding <laughs> those trade-offs. So I'd like to kind of go away from the technical side, talk a little bit about non-technical scaling and a little bit of what happens outside of your direct engineering oversight. Yeah. You know, nothing siloed anymore. So maybe let me just start by getting a take on product management, how this team should think about scaling the product, you know, trade-offs of satisfying one customer with a one-off or something that supports many. Again, how do they begin to make sure they're not having negative impacts over time and getting caught up in things again? I talked about it a little more, but I, now it's a different part of the organization. And how do you influence that thinking? Yeah, I think the way I do it, and not being a product person, but having a ton of respect for my partners over a product, is I tend to, you know, do the more analytical side of things. And that is, I'm looking for the, the key product indicators, key performance indicators from product. As you know, at Slack, we have lots of different surface areas of our product around our messaging or our calls around our, you know, Slack Connect, which allows businesses to connect with each other across our product. And we're really looking at those key performance indicators to understand which product features are landing. So I think that the advice I would have on product when you're thinking about scaling is run a lot of experiments, run a lot of trials, run a lot of A-B tests, Make sure you're, you're getting StatSig sort of KPIs so you can understand what is landing with the customer base. And you, you're right. You want to look at, you know, in Slack's case, we have teams of two up to teams of, you know, hundreds of thousands of people. So we need to look across that entire customer base and understand what's landing with them, what is moving the, the needle in the right direction from our perspective in terms of them getting benefit from the product. And then we need to engineer solutions that match those behaviors and, and drive them forward. Again, so not being a product person, I would say think hard about your, your KPIs, think hard about measuring those and getting statistically significant values off of those, and then giving that feedback directly to engineering so they can build something that allows you to 
drive that product even faster. Yeah, I think the linkage with engineering is really important. I, I'm thinking about maybe a simple go-to-market scenario. Think about, for me, contrasting a product-led land and expand strategy versus maybe large enterprise sales. Do you look at those differently? We do. Um, we do look at them slightly differently, but we see them as virtuous. At least here in my at Slack, we see our self-service sort of business for people that are not in the enterprise sales funnel as being able to come into the product, self-serve themselves, get up to speed and running. We see that as a very good thing. And we want to pay attention to that cohort of users because we think that it gives us great information about how to do something similar within the enterprise sales model. So we do have the enterprise sales model as well. And we think about, well, an enterprise, you know, Amazon's a big customer of ours. They have I know, a million plus employees and from our perspective, users. So the question is, that's just another million people that may have never seen Slack before. So how do we think about landing and expanding that cohort in the same way we would about the next million people coming in and buying on a credit card? So from our perspective, it's, it's similar learnings. Um, of course, on the enterprise side, there's different security concerns and compliance concerns and some other things that, that layer on top of that. But the growth curve of those are, are very, very similar. Interesting. So I'd mentioned earlier security kind of as an exemplar of something that shouldn't be an afterthought. And there are many reasons for that. But the biggest one is if you get it wrong and you break trust, it's something difficult to recover. And I think about scalability in the same light now that if you have outages or slowdowns, you really do have a challenge. So I'd like to kind of wrap up our discussion today with just getting your thoughts on trust and, and maybe even do it in two parts, you know, between the team and you and between a company and its customers, please. Yeah, I think actually the answer to both is is the same, believe it or not. And that's wow. transparent. I think it's transparency. You know, I think the one thing that I am do with my team and that I hope they do back to me is be as transparent and as clear as possible. You know, I'm a big fan of Brene Brown and she says clarity is kindness. And I think that being very clear with team members, being very clear with what your objectives are, having objectives that are measurable and able to say, did we hit it? Yes or no, is is super important. Similarly, when you do have incidents, because everyone's got incidents and, you know, computers and humans, you know, you put gray matter next to a computer and you're going to have a problem. I think when you <laughs> do that, the worst thing you can do for a customer is to sort of like try and blow it over, try and make it not the issue it was. It was a customer incident. They felt it. They're upset about it. You need to go in and you need to be as transparent as you can be without going through all the details at in every nth level because Honestly, they don't really care. But the customer wants to hear is as follows, and this is we have to be transparent about. We know what the issue was. We have remediated it, and it won't happen again. And here's the steps we're taking to prevent a future recurrence. If you're transparent on those things, here's what happened. Here's the mistake that was made. It was a bug we found in technology. It was a process failure with a human error. Something very clearly broke. We know we fixed it. That's what the customer wants to hear. They want to know, how do I know I'm not going to be skating on this thin ice and fall through again? So have we remediated that issue? And do we have it to a point where it's not going to happen again? And then the last one is, what are those action items to make sure it doesn't happen again? We specific dates on when you'll deliver them and follow through. And I think if you do that and be transparent about those things, you can rebuild that trust. But the worst thing you can do is break customer trust because that adds friction to the sales cycle, the marketing cycle, employee retention, new recruits, bringing in new folks to the company. It's just, it's just the worst thing you can do. That is a cascading issue of problems. Alan, this was just a fabulous discussion. It's so enlightening. I think everyone's going to love what we hear from you. Thanks again for talking Thanks, to Mark. us at the conference. Thanks for talking to us on the podcast. It's just been a pleasure. Thank you so much. 
Those three points around transparency affect security, affect trust, affects issues you might have along the way in all of your workings with your customers. And I just want to end it on that. Don't forget those three points. Again, my thanks to Alan for insightful conversations. Thanks again for listening. And for the Georgian Impact Podcast, I'm John Pryor.